John Lewis and Partners offer quality, value and sustainable home collections all in one place. If you are an interior designer and want to hear about the exclusive trade terms available from John Lewis and Partners business, email business at johnlewis.co.uk. Hello and welcome to the Interior Design Business, the monthly podcast produced by the Interior Design Community for the Interior Design Community. We're recording this episode in the John Lewis store at White City and we're joined by an expert panel to take a look at the topic of home staging. How far is this an area of opportunity for interior designers today? My name is Jeff Hayward and I'm here with my co-presenter Susie Rumbold, Creative Director of Tasuta Interiors. Home staging is the preparation of a private residence for sale. The goal is to make the home appeal to the highest number of potential buyers, to sell it faster and for more money. And research in the United States has shown that home staging can reduce a property's listing time by between 30 and 50% and can add between 6 and 20% to the purchase price. So clearly these are very impressive results and there are parts of the world where owners of high-end properties would not dream of selling their houses without engaging the services of a professional home stager. Yet here in Britain the industry is still in its infancy. So what is the state of home staging in the UK? How does it differ from interior design? What is the size of the potential market? And how can designers tap into this potentially lucrative stream of work? Welcome to the interior design business. To help us find out the answers to these questions and more, we're joined by Paloma Harrington-Griffin, founding director of the Home Staging Association, and Lauren Colquhoun, Senior Interior Designer at Akuta Group. Welcome to you both. Thank you very much. Now, before we begin, can you just briefly introduce yourselves? Of course. Thank you, Jeff. So my name is Paloma Harrington Griffin, and I am the founder and director of the Home Station Association UK in Ireland. I am also the vice president of the International Association of Home Staging Professionals in Europe, and. Well, turns out I also run a home staging business in the UK and I have a home staging school and an association in Brazil and soon to be doing some more global uh, activities in regards to home staging, but we'll save that for another time. Um, Apart from all the institutional side of staging, I am also an accredited home staging professional, uh, an expert in staging and styling and also an expert in luxury home staging. Lauren, can you briefly say a few words about yourself? Yeah, so I am one of the senior interior designers at a group of companies. We are an umbrella company of various brands, uh, ranging from Akuta Design, which uh, specializes in interior architecture and high-end interior design, A London, which specializes in show homes and private client work, and Box97, who uh, delve mainly into turnkey investor packs and the lower market for home staging. I uh, have been with the company for uh, seven years now and it's been going for nine, so I'm just part of the furniture these days. And in my time, I have won two international property awards for my show homes. Paloma, have you any idea how many homes are sold in the UK every year? Apparently, the number of transactions in England and also Wales in 2020 was about 700,000. So that's the number of transactions uh, in which the currently I think that the average house price um, 
in the UK, I don't think that would include Wales, I have to check on that, uh, is 428,000. So that's just an average. So basically, what, what does that tell us? So, well, so of that 700,000 transactions then, how many would you say would be in the higher end of the, the market? Because I'm guessing that home staging is something that possibly is only really applicable to high-end properties? Oh no, and I'm so glad we're talking about this today <laughs> then. <laughs> Not necessarily, no, you'll be surprised with, about how, how home staging can cater for lower end, the very average property as well to the higher end. And I think that's the mentality that's changing nowadays. And, and that's why home staging is becoming more popular as well, because people are seeing that, wait a second, I don't need to be wealthy and have a six bedroom house to be able to benefit from home staging. I can have a one bedroom apartment in some outside of big center area that I can also stage. So amazing. So um, to answer your question, it's hard to tell. <laughs> But it's, it sounds as though it's pretty big. It sounds as yes. though there's, there's a lot of activity there. And then I know that they used to, estate agents always used to advise homeowners if they were putting homes on the market that you, know, you were supposed to brew fresh coffee and bake fresh bread and make nice smells. And this was supposed to be very appealing to incoming buyers. But I'm getting the sense from you that that perhaps is no longer enough. Why do you think that's changed? People have changed. <laughs> the market has changed. And I think... Above all, people are looking for an experience nowadays. Um, and even the baking bread or cookies, that was part of an experience as well. But I think now people just want more and more each time. So combine that with a very competitive market where sometimes you have three other properties, if not more, in the same street, you need to stand out. And how do you stand out? You stand out by presenting a property very beautifully, uh, not only highlighting its best features, but making sure that you're selling a lifestyle as well. So you want that person, the potential buyer, to really connect. And they walk in, they want to feel that emotional connection and really um, feel like they could live that. It's like, oh my gosh, I can see myself reading the newspaper on Sunday morning with my cup of tea in that balcony. Or I can see myself watching Netflix after a very busy day in that little nook there. So that's what people are looking for. And if you don't establish that connection, it's very unlikely that you have a quick sale. Something that's just occurred to me while you were talking to, I wonder whether something, this is really just something that popped into my head. If you're, if there are more blocks, more people live in flats now than ever have done before. People, you know, blocks of flats going up all over the place. Therefore you have identical units repeated on many floors and apart from the views there's very little to differentiate them you know the higher up you go the better the better what you see is generally if you're living in a nice place but that means that if you've if you've always if you put your place on the market and you've got five other places that are in, are in fact the identical footprint you're always going to be in a Dutch auction situation so somehow you have to raise your property out of that Dutch auction to actually give it the value and make it the memorable one. If someone's decided that's the building they like, they might look at five flats in a day, but the one that they could take home and think, hang on a minute, that was really nice, will exactly. be the one that they, that they put in an offer on, I would guess. You want to make sure you stand out. You obviously want to keep it neutral and appeal to the highest number of potential buyers, but if people are seeing dozens of properties, uh, sometimes, five, six, seven the same day. You want to make sure that you're the one that stands out. What's your take on the appetite for home staging in the UK, Lauren? It's, um, it's very interesting because as Paloma said, people are kind of going for some more bold design choices. Um, and kind of that's the thing when there is such a, a vast market and so many properties are of a similar build, a similar makeup, they're 
quite a lot of them are just white boxes these days um, you know going for those really bold choices will help you stand out in that market and I always say one of my favorite things to do is always add in what I call a Marmite product because even if someone loves or hates it they're going to remember it and therefore they'll remember that property as opposed to somewhere that was beige on beige on beige and it's a bit forgetful even though it's beautiful and lovely when you're in there when you see one place that has something that stands out it's very easily forgotten so making not lots of bold decisions but making just a few choice kind of controversial almost design choices can really give your property an edge over someone else's at the end of the day Keeping it neutral and appealing to a highest number of potential buyers, it's not lacking personality. You have to still have and show personality because if you're selling a lifestyle, if you, you're trying to build that connection, you need to have personality. So being neutral doesn't mean being boring. There's a style that we refer to as tedious international bling. <laughs> I can see that you both know it well. <laughs> it's just differentiating yourselves from away from that. And obviously a Cooter Group have diversified into this sector quite quite specifically. Yes. Um, what is the growth rate like for you in that home staging side of the business? We've definitely seen a, an exponential growth in the requests for kind of turnkey quick staging and I think one of our kind of USPs as a larger company that do it as opposed to some of the one-man bands is that we offer it on a rental basis. So there's a much lower kind of base cost um, and commitment uh, which leaves it a little bit more flexible so that if a property does go very quickly you're not lumped with a full property's worth of furniture which didn't sell with it. So it's just offering up that flexibility to the potential clients um, to kind of give them as many options as possible for their property. It might be a good uh, stat that I can share with you guys that we so the association does a home staging report every year <clears throat> and obviously last year with the pandemic we were kind of like what do we do what sort of stats are we going to show because things are so different so we compiled stats on the the effects of home staging within a pandemic market basically and it was quite interesting to see that even though uh, the housing market was a bit unstable with shutting down and going back in and all of that we <clears throat> All home stages got an average of four times more inquiries during the pandemic period uh, than the year before, than 2019. And this year, it's been four times more inquiries than last year. Oh, wow. So it, it just keeps on growing. <laughs> stages are busier than ever. People in the UK have finally got the message. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think also it's a seller's market, so there's that much more competition to, to sell your property, isn't there, at the moment? Absolutely, but there's a catch there as well because some of our members have been uh, called in to stage a property and before the installation date everything has been paid and confirmed and ready to go and oh, property has been sold. That's <laughs> so it's happened been happening to us a lot, quite a few times, but most of the times it's happened when we're literally, as you say, we're about to, you know, we've got the install booked in, logistics everything's in the warehouse and then it goes at the drop of a hat and most of the time we've never actually had any issues or, or kind of debates on on payment because the client's just so happy that they've sold it <laughs> before having to outlay for you know months of rental furniture and um, so unfortunately that does happen which um, is again the benefit of rental they, they don't have to take all the furniture from us so apart from specialist home stages who else offers is there anyone else that offers home staging services Absolutely. Um, 
I would say that obviously the, the ones that probably started off offering uh, homestage would be homestage and professionals, but we see state agents that do it, um, that they have say an in-house department that, that do that and they're also the stagents, <laughs> so yeah. the, the, the agents that sometimes are, they work for themselves and they also have a few accessories here and there and they, they try to, uh, to pull together some sort of staging uh, situation with their properties. Um, apart from that, I think there are quite a few interior design studios that do that. There are relocation companies that do offer staging as well and furniture packages and that could even include kitchenware and bedding, literally like the whole package for people that are relocating. Um, Airbnb and sort of holiday let management companies, they, they've been doing that a lot as well, not only oh, for, for the pictures. How scientific are home stages? Because it's all about the return on investment. So if you're approaching a client or a client approaches you, what are the, st I mean, actually Lauren, you could, how, how do you go working with the first client? So I think if, it, if it's it, a private individual, individual yeah. trying to sell their home. It, it varies massively. So we, we work a lot with agents and get introduced to clients a lot through that. And the agents obviously advise them that they will get a bigger you know, I think on average you get about 10% above the, the asking price for a, for a well-staged home. Um, so we kind of advise that people spend between 0.5 and 1% of the sales value on, on staging. Um, obviously, that on a large property, for example, we dressed a, a property f that was on the market for 20 million and it sold after three months after being on the market for 16 months undressed which obviously that is a huge budget in terms of someone looking to buy so using just one percent of that in order to ensure that you get that asking price is a really small investment on the on the larger scale and it's been a focus of Akuta group to to go after the home staging market to a degree yeah, so as I say, we're, we're quite a, a diverse company. We do interior architecture, interior design, as well as investor packs and staging. Um, so we kind of cover a very broad scale of the lower end up to the top end. As I say, we've, we've been working on a, a 20 mil apartment and a, and a 12 mil house. Um, but we also work on the lower ends, as we said earlier, about the, the kind of the new build blocks where everything is kind of a cookie cutter almost of each other. We also do that so we've we've tapped into the market quite well in terms of our kind of growth of opportunity we can really delve into all kind of aspects um, and we have different levels of expertise in each kind of low to high end of the market so we've been quite fortunate in our um, range of um, inquiries so you were talking about establishing the market but I mean how what sort of research do you do to actually find out who you're staging for so obviously we look a lot at the target demographics. We speak a lot with agents and who have been working in the, in the um, specific area for, for a long time. We see what kind of inquiries they've been getting through. You know, some areas are predominantly known as having a lot of international buyers. And then quite recently we've seen a bit of a shift and we're domestic. And obviously the only people that know that is the selling agents. So we speak with them a lot. Uh, we have lots of kind of meetings with them to establish what the, the current kind of demand is, as well as looking really into the local area and making sure that we see what else is on the market, what else is, what else is, what other looks are people going for, what, what looks 
are kind of selling well in that area. And then looking again to, I think, as uh, Paloma mentioned earlier, is, you know, having that personality, having that lifestyle. So we definitely always look to the kind of the local neighborhoods and make sure that we're including the same brands that you would pop down the corner to buy your coffee from and, and things like that. Kind of if there's a diptyque or whatever close by, we make sure it looks very much like someone's um, embedded in the community and is giving back to that community to really sell that lifestyle. So you're giving it a real sense of place. Yes, that's a, it's, exactly. a tech, it's a technique that hoteliers and restaurants and things also use. So that's yeah. just really fascinating that you, think, you're employing that as well. Yeah, I think London's very unique um, in the sense that it's it's quite a small city in the scale of in the global scale however each kind of niche is very much a small neighborhood and it has its own personality it has its own kind of people it has its own kind of industry that the people tend to work within so it's quite interesting having worked all over London that you kind of you just kind of learn the areas and what the the kind of personalities are around that area and kind of really tap into that which I always find is really really fun because uh, all the neighbourhoods have their own kind of little niches. How do home stagers actually charge for their services? Oh that's a great question Jeff, quite a polemic one. <laughs> it is actually one of the questions that we get the most uh, as an association even from stage and professionals saying how should I price my services or how should I charge for XYZ. Um, but from a, a more business perspective, I would say that there are different ways of um, staging different services that stages can offer. So there will obviously be different ways you can charge for it. So basically, um, I would say the most common services that stages will offer would be consultation or occupied staging or vacant staging. So the consultation will basically be just um, what it is a consultation, the, the professional will go to the, uh, the property and it usually takes place when it's an occupied and lived in property or it's been lived in and it's now vacant. Um, and the stager would basically assess and see room by room what needs to be done, what measures need to be taken and if there's any maintenance that needs to be done or new furniture that needs to be brought in or things that need to be stored away, etc. And stager would charge basically per hour or a fixed rate for this consultation and they could include a written report or they could include to help to implement all of these suggestions so it really depends in that sense. If we're talking about an occupied staging, hands-on staging, then it would be also this consultation side of things because you need to identify what needs to be done and then if there's any furniture that needs to be replaced or anything that needs to be bought such as accessories or even artwork that could be either rented out to the homeowner or they would buy it and then take it to their new home whenever they do sell. So it really depends on how the, the staging professional works. Sometimes they don't like to um, rent say bedding obviously or even mattresses if that should be the case or sofas uh, but some don't really mind and they, they built everything into their pricing model and, and make it work as such. Um, and then finally the vacant staging which would also apply to show homes um, and that would basically be furniture rental furniture packages and accessories and all that and the styling of that and I think that's one of the most 
normal ones that we see out there, the one that people really do see staging as, okay, so this is staging, we bring everything into a show home and make it look nice. Um, in that case, it's usually charged uh, on a weekly rate with a minimum of eight to 12 weeks. That's kind of what the market does. Some people do a little bit less and do a little bit more, but eight to 12 is usually what people do. Uh, plus obviously delivery and installation and any fees that might go on top of that. Uh, but yeah, it basically works on charging for a fee to rent and style everything that will go in to prepare that property for the market. So I think that will be in a nutshell how, how it's charged. Again, if you're going to ask me about pricing each service, then it's very subjective because it all depends on the business model, if it is just one man band, if they're renting furniture from a third party or if they have their own inventory, uh, if they have to pay for the transportation of all of that and the insurance, or if they have someone else that will do that for them because they're renting out the furniture from someone that actually supplies that. Uh, so yeah, area and all of that. So everything is very subjective when it comes to, okay, so it'll cost 500 per week. You, you, there's no formula, there's no one size fits all for that, unfortunately. Does that mean then that most home stages or the, the, the larger companies perhaps have warehousefuls of furniture? Yeah, we do, we do hold stock of a lot of furniture. Um, as I say, we depending on the, the budget and the, the, the lead time especially, some of our um, staging is completely bespoke and we get really involved with the client and we design everything very particularly to that property, especially if we're working with boutique developers or things like that who have a, who have a very specific kind of idea in their head of what they're looking for, but they don't want to purchase and dress the full place because they do just want to kind of flip it. Um, so that in that case, everything is bespoke, but we still offer that rental service. So we're really lucky in the sense we get to take that furniture back and we can reuse it, which is why we have a lot of flexibility on really quick time and um, quick turnarounds and things like that. So we don't have absolutely everything. It's not a, a bottomless pit of furniture, but we do hold a lot of our old ex rentals, which has never been lived with. It's, you know, only it's sometimes been in there for a couple of weeks if we've done our job very well. <laughs> um, so then we get to take it back. And then, so we do have a warehouse, um, which varies very much in how the levels of it, depending on the, the demand. And how quickly do you turn over that furniture? Because obviously you'll be losing some all the time because people will buy bits and things, but I'm just thinking in terms of keeping up with fashions and stuff. And does that mean you also have to have multiple sets of different styles? Some, or do you tend to always have, do you have a house style that you always dress in? We very much pride ourselves on designing each property to being specific for that demographic, for that property and what's right for that moment. Um, so we don't do that. However, there are some key pieces which are a little bit more malleable in terms of it's quite a simple sofa. So we will then add money, add um, our own accessories to kind of give it its own style, but go for some really base kind of basic styles in terms of uh, the key pieces. And then we will go bespoke on artwork and accessories to give it that edge of personality that's more local. You couldn't possibly have stock for French country and uh, Scandi and modern contemporary all under the same warehouse and literally do that for all the properties that you do according to to the requirements. So I think you, you kind of need to stick to uh, uh, one 
base and then work from there, right? I think that's something that beginner stages always come to us as well now. So, but do, do I need to just stick to one or do, but buyers are different and how do I do with the, the, the whole style thing? And that, that's why we say you can't possibly cater for everyone. So I think every company will kind of have their, their own style to go for and then you, you work from there. Mm. So, so different staging companies have different handwriting. It's oh, a bit yes. like interior designers in that sense. We try our hardest to not have a signature kind of style as such, which is why our kind of pool of furniture can be quite diver diverse because, as I say, we work with boutique developers which may have quite a specific style. So we'll design something quite specific and then we'll have it in the warehouse and only every now and then something relevant for that piece would come up. But it just gives you a little bit of flexibility. Um, and also just pulling together something that doesn't, that can look quite curated because it's a little bit more kind of eclectic. It's not, looks like it's all come from one shop. It's a little bit more lived in, you know, I'm sure all of our furniture in each of our homes isn't all from one era or one style. It gives a little bit of a more lived in look if the pieces have a bit more character and look a little bit more curated. And I think that's the beauty of having the possibility of having your own stock, your inventory, because creatively speaking, you're so much more free to do everything that you want to do and to bring in this different pieces from different places and but it must be an enormous investment I mean anyone <laughs> looking to move into the home staging market you know to set up a warehouse and run the transport and have the inventory and the whole the whole nine yards it's a it's a lot it is and again I think that's where Akuta group are very lucky because it's we don't just do home stagings it's not a, a huge outgoing for a very small section of our business. You know, the business is much bigger. It's, it's definitely not the majority of our work. So we've got kind of our overheads can be covered via the other aspects of our business. But it must still be a barrier to entry, I'd have thought, for a lot of I'm people sure, who yeah. want to get it into is, the business. No, it, yeah. it is quite an investment and I think it's something to be mindful of if anyone is thinking of venturing into home stage, you need to account for quite a high and a constant investment. That's what I was thinking. Well. And then and you'd be, you better be pretty damn sure that you've got <laughs> the right handwriting because if you go out and spend two or three hundred thousand pounds on the wrong sofa, mm. what do you do then? Exactly. <laughs> but there are alternatives. As I said, there are quite a few stages and the ones that are either just starting out or that don't really want to become super big and take over the world. They, they're very happy to deal with um, furniture rental companies that do have their own packages and uh, and they are getting a lot more varied in that sense so there's say David Phillips, Room Service by Court, um, Instant Home, um, there's quite a few out there and they do offer whether it's individual pieces or the whole packages uh, it's very helpful because then the stage doesn't need to buy the furniture they rent it out obviously you have a, a much lower margin there, um, but you also don't have any overheads because these companies, they deliver, they are insured, they have their own storage, but you don't necessarily have the one sofa that you wanted, <laughs> for example, you kind of have to, you're a bit limited in that sense, but like everything, it has upsides and downsides really. Okay, and you talked earlier about home staging and show homes, Lauren. Yes. What really is the difference between a home staging project and just dressing a show home? I think 
They're very different and very not different at the same time. It can be quite difficult to, to differentiate if, you, if you're not in it. Uh, I think the key thing that I would predominantly say is the difference is the lead time. The amount of kind of design input and the amount of client input that goes into a show home, the level of research, the bespoke items is a lot more in general than in a home staging where someone doesn't want to wait 12 weeks for their property to be staged because they hope to sell it before that. Uh, so, you know, it's more kind of about the, the whole design process is very different with a show home. And also the look, you know, you get a really, really tailored, bespoke look, which we work a lot with developers. So, you know, we work with their branding agents um, and, the, and their sales agents to make sure that we're curating a look which is going to sell potentially, a, you know, a full development or just one home. Uh, so that kind of process is very much kind of more drawn out. And when we were speaking about pricing earlier, that's one of the things sometimes with staging, it depends how involved the client wants to be. If they are invested and they want to sign off every piece that goes in there, that will push it to that boundary between home staging and a show home because it gets a lot more bespoke and it gets a lot more de uh, detailed in terms of what's being signed off and what the client is happy with as opposed to something a little bit quicker when they give you your free, your, the freedom and we can turn it around really quickly, that would be more of a home staging because it's kind of more um, pulled together as opposed to bespoke. But if you think about it, the end goal is the same, isn't it? We we're looking to, to sell that property. Quickly we want to and for Yes, exactly, mm -hmm. quickly and for more. And to showcase what the property has to offer, the lifestyle that the person can have when they buy that um, the property so it is different but i think the the goal is the same yeah right? the lines can be quite blurred yeah however <laughs> when for example when we're working with developers uh, we're working with quite a few at the minute who are you know these are 10 to 20 year development projects so that show home isn't to sell quickly that show home has to survive the trends for the next 10 years because it's going to be in the marketing suite and they they just want to refresh every year or so they don't want to have to start again so that's again where it kind of varies because it's not to do with the current market it's kind of the longevity of how the area is going to develop we're working in a lot of kind of places which are you know the devil word gentrification <laughs> but they are becoming more gentrified uh, and we're right at the helm of it <laughs> um, so you're kind of designing for that future neighborhood as opposed to the neighborhood you're currently selling so that's kind of forward thinking as opposed to current well i know when we work with developers uh we often will reserve the right to go back and revise the schemes so you do a proposal that's at the very beginning which is for your costing and your budgeting purposes but if the build is going to take two to three years we we then say to them and we, we actually build this into our fees we say to the client you know right from the off okay we're going to give you the information you need now but when it comes to the point of actually placing those orders we will be reviewing and revising every single thing that we've proposed for you because it may no longer be relevant yeah, yeah so that so that you don't come up with something that's out of date before it's installed yeah we've had that happens quite a lot because obviously the spec and the cgis is signed off you know a decade before the build <laughs> starts and then we come in and win the show home and then they're like um 
we prefer your palette to our original palette. Can you help us revise that? Uh, but yeah, because things are signed off so far in advance, you always it's always good to build in a contingency to refresh and revive and bring it a little bit more to the current day. <laughs> um, going back to the sort of the private sellers, I, I, one of the things I read was that you need to take the personality out of the house. What do you? What does that? What does that refer to? Not the personality. Never take the personality out. <laughs> take the personal items. <laughs> it's just personal items. Yes. Okay. Yes. You still want you want to have some personality, but not to be personal, which is difficult to understand. But let, let's let's dive in. <laughs> so basically, um, imagine that you're uh, someone that wants to buy a property, and you go and visit a an occupied property that's actually being lived in at the moment. You get there, you see all of their holiday photos and graduation pictures and the schedule on the fridge door and dog food on the floor and all of that. And no, right? It's, it's a no, no. You can't, it's like you're visiting someone. It's not like you're visiting your, your potential new home. You, you can't, you simply cannot envision yourself living in that space because it's completely filled with someone else's it's too things. lived in. Too it's lived in. Yes. Too <laughs> lived in as opposed to looking homely. Absolutely. It looks like a home and there's a difference. And is there the danger then that buyers would become distracted because they're so busy working out whether they've been to that bar and I've been there? Which is true because at the end of the day you want to showcase the property and what it has to offer and, and, and its potential really. And if you've got all of those items, whether it is pictures or even, I don't know, bulky red leather sofa that will basically hide the very beautiful fireplace but no one can see it because they're so distracted by the sofa um, you want to avoid that sort of distraction you want to make sure that they will see oh my gosh amazing high ceilings or oh look at those views oh my gosh this is so spacious or so bright or whatever it is so the idea is not not only the whole depersonalizing and bringing the lifestyle and all of that but also highlight what the property has to offer because at the end of the day that's what they're buying into right it's the property so you need to find ways to showcase that the best way possible yeah you want it to look lived in but you don't want anything that's too niche style wise <laughs> that might potentially put people off <laughs> as opposed to intrigue them yeah <laughs> have you any favorite niche items that you've come across in your time oh quite a few <laughs> i don't know i don't know which are pc enough <laughs> I, I also, when I was doing some reading around this, um, saw that in, in America they recommend taking half the books out. If you've got full bookshelves, they recommend removing 50% of the books and replacing with objects. Is that true? Are people put off by too many books? <laughs> I think there's a very... For me, anyway, I think it very much depends on the bookshelf. <laughs> like, if it's a freestanding bookcase, you kind of want to see some objet, you want to see a little bit of intrigue. Whereas if it's, you know, a library wall that's built in joinery, I want to see books after books and it to really feel like a home library. So I think it definitely depends on which piece of furniture the bookcase is, is doing. Uh, for me personally, but no, in my eyes, you can never have too many books. <laughs> yeah. It's about harmony, isn't it? You want yeah. to, to create some harmonious and, and quite pleasant to look at environment. And yeah, if it's 50% on a third or whatever it is, I think you have to, to see what it looks like right there and then, right? <laughs> yeah, I always think that's also quite a, a simple but 
but nice way to bring in the lifestyle is what coffee table books are there? Mm. Is it, you know, power boats? Is it jewellery? Or is it Tuscany? You know, it's, it's the kind of books, it kind of showcases that lifestyle. It's the one thing, rather than having photographs which are a bit much and maybe mm -hmm. potentially a bit creepy if you feel like yep. you're, you now know exactly what school their children go to and what their schedule is. It's not even safe if you think about no, it. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it is that one nice nosy bit when I remember going into a house and I could tell that the owner was obviously in law because they had all the law journals like back to back, uh, wall to wall even, on their library. And I was like, that's a lovely little like nod to their lifestyle as opposed to it being, oh, there's the family dog. Yeah. <laughs> it's like kind of a little bit um, of an intrigue into their lifestyle as opposed to anything too personal. But quite an aspirational one at that. Of course. Yes, I, I was lucky enough to find myself in the most magnificent Georgian house in Barnes a couple of weeks ago. And they've got a fantastic collection of various Chinese things. And I had to sort of say, well, what in and apparently the family at one point lived in Hong Kong but it was just it was quite and they had some fabulous modern art that was clearly Chinese so that was very kind of it was just very aspirational it's very glamorous mm, definitely <laughs> and before you even get to home staging isn't it all about cleaning decluttering and fixing stuff in a home first <laughs> yes yeah there's only so much you can do if the walls are falling down and the paint is <laughs> or people have taken their uh, artwork off the wall and you can just see the mark <laughs> and you're like just a lick of paint can do the world of good in terms of uh, making it just look shiny and new as opposed to lived in and a bit old and tired yeah tatty it's almost <laughs> thinking what would you like to see if you were viewing a property would you like it to be i don't know with the cupboard doors all wonky and floorboards all squeaky you don't really want that do you so no. think like a person <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> think like a buyer <laughs> especially if you if you're paying especially in the higher end if you're paying such a, a, a premium for a property mm -hmm. and as soon as you walk in you're like okay well that's 10 grand in decoration that's x amount in you know replastering or whatever you start to break that down and suddenly you're like why am i paying this premium for a property i'm gonna have to spend 200 grand just to get it up to scratch so, you know, just making, even if it's, even if you'd still paint it when you moved in, just knowing that it's not one of those tick box has to is such a nice, it just gives a cleaner slate and an, a, a, you know, an open book to go in and do your own thing as opposed to things that you must do to make it livable. Yeah, and keeping in mind as well, if there's another property, wherever it is, whether it's down the street or somewhere else, that they're also looking into and that one doesn't really require any of that sort of work or a lot less. Which one do you think they're going to go for? Yeah, even if it's slightly more expensive, <laughs> yeah. but it takes the, you know, the admin and the time, the lag time between getting it up to scratch out of it for the hassle, people will just rather pay more for the nicer one. Clients of mine um, relocating from the States sold the most magnificent house in Brooklyn, which had been visually, virtually restaged. But what happens when you actually go to see the property and you don't recognise it as being the same house? Yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, we've not seen too much of that in, you know, there's obviously the strategic agency photos which are pulled and blown up in wide angle lens and completely distorted. But when it comes to actually photoshopping in things that aren't there, you know, maybe airbrushing out a little 
crack or, or a plug socket that's not in an ideal place. But when it comes to actually photoshopping, we've not seen too much of that no, as was, of yet. This, anyway. was, this was completely transformed. These rooms, I didn't recognise it as the same house until I really started to look at things like the panelling and some of the chandeliers and things like that they hadn't Structurally done. speaking, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I'm 110% I'm against that because I think it's fake advertising at the end of the day unless you actually state okay this is being sold because you will need to refurbish it and this is the suggestion then great people know what they're buying into and you, you manage expectations but or if it's a cgi of a yes. future build you know you're getting an idea of something that doesn't yet exist as opposed to just something yeah. that's fake news as you uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it is a bit of a slippery slope because in the same way that um it, estate agents used to get criticised for faking measurements and things on, and now they have to, they all have to sign up to a code of conduct and they're not allowed to, you know, it's actually against the law to do that. With this, some of these virtual restagings that I can see coming up, you're giving people visual, a visual impression of a property that may not relate to the, the reality. No, but you're just setting people up to be let down because you know it doesn't look like that in real life. And it's very rare that an international buyer buys without actually being to the property. It does happen, but not as often as, as agents would like if that's the kind of behaviour. <laughs> I mean, it's essentially just filters on Tinder, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're, not, you're not who you say you are. You've been catfished by a house. <laughs> Paloma, there must be standards. There must be, because yeah. you're, you're the home staging association, so you must have ethics, uh, codes of conduct and everything else. Yeah, absolutely. There is all of that. And... I think with virtual staging, it's, um, it's very tricky because lots of people are against it, especially stagers that do the actual physical staging. Uh, and they think that virtual staging will take over and it doesn't necessarily um, honor what staging really is. But at the end of the day, it is a, it's a tool. It came to stay. You have to live with it. <laughs> so let's make it work. And the way I see it, we've got quite a few members that do do virtual staging as well. And they do a lot of pre-build sort of marketing work for um, large developers, um, um, not only uh, here in the UK, but uh, overseas as well. And they do that to, to help them to market the properties and to sell to a lot of investors uh, from, from overseas that do end up buying without seeing it. But then it's purely for investment. They, they really rely on, on whatever is being shown in the, in the virtual staging. But Obviously, there is the downside that whenever someone actually does go to the property and see that it's empty, but again, with no structural changes, with the, the walls, the sizes, everything, it's all as shown, it's just furniture at the end of the day. Um, it's very difficult for you to create that emotional connection just via the pictures. People will go there and they'll try and see it and then it's empty. So unless you manage to manage those expectations, and let them know, okay, this is a CGI, you're going to go there, it's not going to be quite like this, but here's what you, you, you will be able to do or you'll be able to get, then, then obviously it's, it's not perfect. You still have a, a level of disappointment that you need to, to take care of right there, but it's tricky. But it's the Instagram issue too. It's the fact that you're setting something up to take that one perfect photograph and then you turn around and you're taking another angle with another perfect photograph. And when you walk into the space, it doesn't feel like that at all. Because we get clients come to us with you know, Instagram images and saying they want their rooms to be like that, and you're kind of going, it's not going to work. You know, it's really not going to work. Um, Isn't it kind of like going to the hairdressers? And you're like, I yeah. want this. And then the hairdresser goes like, yeah, but there's a lot of lighting here and like the angle and photoshops. But I want it. It's the same thing, isn't it? Yeah, it really is the same thing. <laughs>
What's the one piece of advice, Lauren, that you would give to interior designers thinking about offering home staging services? Um, I would say do your research. You know, do your research and really work out what business model you are going to be um, you know, working with because there's such a varied, as you've heard through this podcast, there's such a varied kind of level of professionals doing it at the minute. So finding out exactly what your niche is and what your USP is because the competition is is rife and only getting stronger. So, um, you know, really think long and hard about what your USP is and what you can bring to the table that isn't already out there. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more, Lauren. And I think sales is a great opportunity for interior designers because there's so many transferable skills and trade tricks that uh, you can use for both staging and interiors. But having said that, there are quite a few peculiarities of staging that people need to be mindful of. So when I was talking about the stagings, I think that applies to interior designers as well, that you you need to know what you're doing. And obviously, um, as an interior designer, you do have an amazing background and there's very little that you still need to learn in order to fully grasp what home staging is and what, it, what it's all about and how to actually do it. But there are things that you need to learn. It's, it, it is uh, a different approach, different technique, has a uh, different business model to an extent as well. There are things that you need to know, especially from a business perspective. So my advice would be go and find information, go and find education. And the association's here to help as well. So if anyone needs any tips on what course to take or what to do, do I even need a course? Should I just start attending events or listening to home staging podcasts or something like that. I'm here to help. We're here to help. So I think uh, find information and, and make sure that when you're doing something, you're doing it the best way that you can, having all the information that you need to have at hand so you can excel at what you're doing. So just before we finish, I'm intrigued with something that you said earlier. What is the weirdest thing that you've ever had to take out of a private client's home when you were staging so we once went to look uh <laughs> look around this very higgledy piggledy it was up in the loft it was very beautiful architecturally uh, but it was clearly a very eccentric couple that lived there and every single inch of the entire apartment was a gallery wall with lots of kind of unique eccentric pieces of art and as I was going back down the stairs on our way out, I noticed that on the wall next to the staircase was a framed photo of Myra Hindley. No, no, really? Oh my gosh. Yeah, so we didn't end up proceeding with that project because uh, the heebie-jeebies were quite strong in that apartment. <laughs> Wow. wow, wow. And on that note. On that note. <laughs> thank you so much, Lauren, and thank you, Paloma. I think it's been a really interesting insight into what is home staging, what's different about it, and where the opportunity might be. So thank you very much. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. We'd like to thank John Lewis and Partners for hosting us here at their store today and for their support. You can find out more about their service for interior designers, for stylists, developers and home stagers at johnlewis.com forward slash business. We'd also like to show our support for series partners Parkside Architectural Tiles. You can find out more about Parkside at parkside.co.uk. This episode of the Interior Design Business is a Wildwood production. <laughs>